Keith, could I get you to lift that up for me? Thank you. It's kind of a two-person job. At least for me it is. (laughs) Thank you. It is good to see each one of you here. You know, the living God is with us here. And scripture tells us that God inhabits the praises of his people. Did you ever think about that? When we are here together praising him, God is making our praises his habitation, his home. So when you're praising God, you're like creating a space for God to come and dwell and be at home. That's an amazing thing that we get to do together when we gather. So it is no small thing that you are here this morning and that we've gathered at the foot of the cross together well, let's, uh, let's look together at the scripture that we've got today. This is Romans chapter 12. We're going to be in Romans 12 for a lot of the time this fall. So we're kind of taking our time through here. Romans 12. Last week we just read one verse, Romans 12.1. This week we're going to read Romans 12.2 and really look at that because it is packed with good stuff. So if you'd open your Bibles, turn to Romans 12. And I'm going to read 1 and 2 today. Listen to God's word. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Friends, this is God's word for us. Lord, thank you that you're still speaking. We're just, we're humbled, we're amazed that You meet us right where we are, and you speak to us over and over again. We ask for your Holy Spirit to come and really open our ears so we can hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. What are we all about here at Bemis Point United Methodist Church? You can't miss it when you walk into the gallery, when you look at the bulletin, it's everywhere. Sail, right? Sail. We want to dig into that a little bit more this fall as we enter this new season. Um, and SAIL, as you know, is an acronym, and it stands for these four ideas. Say them with me. Seek Jesus, activate your faith, invest in God's mission, and love completely. That is the pathway that God has laid out for us to follow. That's the gospel message right there in that one little word, sail. Seek Jesus means helping people get to know Jesus. There's a world out there of people who don't really know who Jesus is or who know but haven't really decided to follow him. So we want to do everything we can to help people to be able to know Jesus and to be able to follow Jesus, to seek him and to know that Jesus is seeking them. So that's the S. A is activate your faith. That's where most of us live. That's when we've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. 
and we want to do things to help us grow. So it's all the, the things that we do in the normal life of a church to, to help us grow in our faith. That's activating our faith. But we don't want to stop there. We don't want to stop there. We want to go out into deeper water and invest, really invest in God's mission. This means deciding to not just be disciples, but learning how to be disciples who make disciples. It's becoming apprentices so that we know how to help others also come along in the faith. That's investing in God's mission. And then L, love completely, keeps that ultimate goal out in front of us. When Jesus was asked, What's, what is the most important thing we need to know about following God? What was his answer? He said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So love, love is right there, the L for us. And that means being disciples who make disciples. When we love others, we are following that mandate that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all people, all nations. So we have a map to help us out on this journey. If you didn't get one of these maps last Sunday, would you just give a little wave and an usher will come and give you one right now so that you can have one. We want everybody to have one of these maps and to keep it. Um, this is for you. And a, a big shout out to Register Graphics and Tim Beach, his guys who created this. It's, they did a beautiful job. Um, this map is really a guide to help you Sail. So we're just going to talk our way through this a little bit. If you open the map, there's uh, instructions, how to use this map, what it means. And then inside, you see the map itself. You can see on the left, there is S, Seeker Shoreline. These are folks, as I said, who have not yet come to know Christ or made a decision to follow him. And then there's Activation Bay. And you see there's lots of islands there in the bay. And they all have different topics. These are the basics of the Christian faith that we do not want you to miss. If you are interested in growing in your faith, then you'll want to make it to each one of these islands and find the treasure that's there. You see an X. And you can mark that off as I found some treasure there as you get to each island. So in the life of the church... We have, are going to be emphasizing each of these islands at different times and then have ways available that you can explore them at any time. So this fall, we're really focusing on Service Island, the up there on, on the left, Service Island, and what it means to live a life of service that Jesus lifts up as so important. So if you have not yet explored that, if you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, we have a group to help you find that. We have multiple groups. If you've done that, but you want to dig deeper into seeing what it means to serve Christ, then sign up for one of the other groups on service. Tom Holland, our director of faith activation, can help you find the right group there. And then you see it goes into the Gulf of Investment and then out into Love Ocean. We're going to be exploring those more as well. But take this map home with you and keep this and keep track of where you are on this journey of faith. As I said, we're emphasizing service this fall, or serving God. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. 
He said, you don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. Jesus said something similar. In Matthew 20, he said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says that the mindset of a servant is different than what comes naturally to us. The world's philosophy is, is pretty simple, isn't it? Happiness comes from being successful. That's what the world tells us. Success means being in charge, being on top, being able to make my own decisions and then carry them out, being able to have other people do what I would like them to do, be a master of my own destiny. The world tells us, if you want something, go get it. Whether it's a person or um, financially or whatever, if you want something, go for it. That's how to really be successful. We spend a lot of time and energy in our lives, don't we? Pursuing that way of success. But Jesus turns that completely on its head. He says, whoever wants to be great, whoever wants to be successful, has got to be a servant. And then he takes it even further, and he uses that word, slave. He said, whoever wants to be first must become a slave. That seems really hard, doesn't it? That seems really hard. Haddon Robinson, who's a preaching professor at Gordon-Conwell, has said that, um, well, he said that he's read enough student sermons to make him want to be an atheist. <laughs> but he said that most sermons, a lot of sermons, often boil down to this. Try harder. Bad dog, he says. <laughs> that could be summarized most sermons. Bad dog, try harder. <laughs> How depressing, huh? Is this really all about trying harder? I mean, you could see how spending a whole month and a half here looking at service and servanthood could kind of end up feeling that way, right? Like, try harder. Do better. Let's be honest, though. Trying harder doesn't always change things that much, does it? Remember your New Year's resolution? I was going to talk about my New Year's resolution and how I was doing on it, and then I realized I can't even remember. <laughs> not only do I not remember what my New Year's resolution was, I don't even remember if I made a New Year's resolution this year. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm really keeping it or not, and you know what that's like. You could go into something with the best intentions, to try harder, to do better, to change yourself it's pretty hard, isn't it? It's hard to just know the right thing and then to do it. Romans 12 here that we're going to be spending time in this fall is sort of a manual for, for how to serve, a manual for the Christian life. But it's not really so much a how-to as a 
who. Not how to do it, but who makes it happen in our lives. Romans 12 tells us that the hard work of changing us so that we can be the truly great people that we were meant to be, in other words, servants, that hard work is God's work, not ours. Is God's work in us. God transforms us from the inside out. So this is not just a, a try harder kind of thing. Let's look at what this has to say here in uh, Romans 12, chapter, uh, verse 2. Open that up again if you don't have that in front of you. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world. It starts out. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. What does conformed mean? I love the old translation by J.B. Phillips. He says this, Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within. When I hear that, that idea of something squeezing us into its mold, this is what I think of. Did any of you have that toy in the 70s? That is an awesome toy. I didn't have it, but one of my friends had it. If you never got to play with the Play-Doh, Fuzzy Pumper, Barber, and Beauty Shop, let me tell you, you missed out. You take some Play-Doh, and you put it in this little chamber underneath the barber chair, and you put one of those little guys on top of the barber chair, and then you push down this handle, and it squeezes the Play-Doh, and it makes their hair grow. And it makes their beards grow. And you can use these little plastic scissors and give them a haircut. But here's the most amazing part, at least when I was little, I thought this was just mind-blowing. You could put this little mold, this little helmet on top of the guy. And when you squeeze that Play-Doh in, it would come out in a perfect mold of a perfect hairdo. I see people nodding. You remember how amazing this was? See that little guy, the, the, the girl is combing his hair with the blue comb? He's got a molded hairdo, squeezed into the mold. Conformed, that word that we're looking at today, means squeezing into a mold. It comes from the root word, which means an outward form that varies from year to year or day to day, a form that you can change, like your hairdo or your outward appearance. William Barclay says, it means this, don't try to match your life to all the fashions of this world. Don't be like a chameleon which takes its color from its surroundings. In other words, Paul is saying here, don't let yourself be shaped, be squeezed by what everybody else does. Jesus says, don't look for success the way the world does, by lording it over others. Look for success by serving. Don't be conformed to this world, this verse says. The unconscious pressures are often the ones that really squeeze us the most, aren't they? Not that we're necessarily looking around at the world and saying, oh, that's, yeah, that's what I want to imitate. That's what I want to be. But it's often the things we don't even think about. Those unconscious things that squeeze us. We follow the crowd 
without even really even realizing it. And following the crowd can be dangerous. There was uh, a young man who was recruited to become a missionary in Venezuela. And apparently he didn't know very much Spanish, but he decided to go anyway. And when he got there, the next day was Sunday, so he decided it'd be good to start by finding a church service to go to. So he went to visit one of the local churches, but he got lost on the way. Eventually he found it, but by the time he got there, the place was packed, and there was really only one seat left, and it was right there in the front row. So he sat in the front row, and he thought, well, I don't really understand what's going on here. I'm not really speaking Spanish, and I don't want to make a fool of myself, so he decided he would just find someone to imitate. He decided whatever the guy sitting next to him did, he would do the same thing, and that would help him get through it. So when they sang and the man clapped his hands, the missionary recruit clapped his hands as well. When the man stood up to pray, the missionary stood up to pray as well. When the man held the cup and the bread for the Lord's Supper, the missionary held the bread and the cup as well. During the preaching, the recruit didn't understand a thing. He just sat there and nodded when the guy on his right nodded. And then he perceived that the, the pastor was making announcements. People clapped. So he looked around to see if the man next to him was clapping, and sure enough, he was. So the missionary recruit clapped too. And then the preacher said some words that the man didn't understand, the, the missionary, and he saw the man next to him stand up. So he stood up too, and suddenly a hush fell over the whole church. And some people gasped. And so he kind of looked around, and he sat down. After the service ended, the pastor was at the door shaking hands and as the missionary got to him and shook his hand, the pastor said to him in English, so you don't speak Spanish, do you? <laughs> and the missionary recruit replied, no, I, I don't. Is it that obvious? And the pastor said, well, yes. I announced that the Acosta family had a brand new baby boy, and I asked the proud father to stand up. <laughs> Oh, following the crowd can be dangerous. It can be dangerous. And as funny as that is, we know it really can be dangerous to follow the crowd. Jesus said, the road to destruction is wide. It's easy to find. There's a lot of people on it. He said the road to salvation is narrow. It's hard to find. It's easy to let the world squeeze us into its mold and, and not even really realize it or think about it. But it can be a life or death decision. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't conform to this world, Paul says. The world here, that word doesn't mean the physical world, but it means the values of this age as opposed to the age to come when Christ will come again in final victory and establish his kingdom here. We live in that tension between the world now and the world we know is coming. The kingdom of God is already here, but it's not yet here. That tension is where we live. Stuart Briscoe says, 
that's where the thrill of much Christian living comes, living in that tension. Some days it doesn't feel so much like a thrill, does it, as a challenge. The easy way out of that tension is just to withdraw, to live in our own little Christian greenhouse and and not interact with the world. Or on the other end of the spectrum, we can blend in so much that nobody even notices that we're different. Nobody even notices that we're molded to a different shape and, and, we don't, and we don't influence the world around us. But Jesus said, be in the world, but not of it. That's our challenge. Not conformed, but transformed. So let's look at what's next in this verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Say that word with me, transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The pressure to conform often comes from the outside, but transformation comes from the inside. That word transformed comes from the root word that means the essential, the inner character. It's the same root word as the word we translate metamorphosis, transformation, metamorphosis. You know what it's like to see uh, a little caterpillar be transformed into uh, a cocoon and then into a butterfly. That's amazing transformation. It's not something that can be imposed from the outside. It happens from the inside out. It's this transformation that Paul's talking about here is, is a heart and mind process. Not the external things, not the skin-deep things, but the, the inner being. And here's the good news, friends. Here's the good news. This is not something that we have to make happen ourselves. This is something that God does in us. Now, we can resist it, and we can put the brakes on it, and we can avoid it, and God will not press that. But if we allow God... He will transform us from the inside out. That is good news. Listen to how the message puts Romans 12 to. This is a paraphrase. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best in you, develops well-formed maturity in you. God does it. God does it. It's not try harder. It's allowing God to transform us from the inside out. God does the hard work of changing us so that we can be the truly great people that we were meant to be. Servants, slaves, slaves of God. Transformed here is is in the present tense. That indicates it's a process. It's not like God just waves his magic wand over us and it's done. No, it's it's an everyday process, a little-by-little process. It's an every-morning process. When we wake up, or every day when we're faced with a new challenge, making that choice whether to conform or be transformed, whether we're going to allow God to do it. God does it, but we have to let him. Not conformed, 
but transformed. That's the vision for our lives. That's what it means to find a new route. As we're doing this series called True Greatness, we, we have this graphic of, of a road work, someone shoveling, being, being a servant, doing that hard work. So there's this thought of this image of, of, of road things going on here. And we're finding a new route when we're not conformed, but transformed. This is the, the way to the road less traveled, the way of servanthood. You know, Yogi Berra said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. You got to think about that one for a minute, huh? There's some strange wisdom in there somewhere. Water runs down a path and wears it away, conforms it to the water's path. But then God can make a new path. When he transforms us, he makes a new route in our lives, shaping our lives in a new way. God shapes our lives to the structures of grace rather than the structures of this world. A little bit later in Romans, Paul says a very similar thing. Look at verse 21, 1221. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Not conformed, but transformed. So what happens when we're transformed? Look at what comes next. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How does it happen? By the renewing of your minds. By the renewing of your minds. So you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. John Wesley said, Christ will have no servants except by consent. His people are a willing people. He will be all in all or he will be nothing. He wants to change our minds so that we willingly want to serve him. You know, servanthood is kind of an acquired taste. How many of you like coffee? I love coffee. Well, how many of you liked coffee when you were a little kid? Just a few. Yeah, not so many of us. I remember trying my parents' coffee when I was little and being like, oh, how can you drink that stuff? It's bitter. It's horrible. But now that I'm old, I like coffee. My palate has changed over time. It's an acquired taste. For many Christians, a heart of servanthood toward others doesn't come naturally, but God changes our tastes over time. He matures our palate, and after a while we find that our minds have been renewed, that that's something that we love, something we never loved before. And when we allow him to renew our minds, what happens? It says here, so that you may discern what is the will of God? What is the good and acceptable or pleasing and perfect will of God? Last week we talked about being a living sacrifice, giving our whole selves to God. You know, serving, being a living sacrifice helps us to know God's will. And isn't that what we all want? To be able to, to hear God, to understand God, to, to let him guide us and, and help us through our everyday lives. That's what we want. To be able to discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable or pleasing and perfect. 
Jeff Walling tells the story of Daryl. Daryl was a volunteer for his youth group, about 40 years old. Once a month, the youth group would go to the local nursing home called Hokum Manor. The residents there would all be wheeled into a room, and the youth would conduct a worship service for them and with them. Daryl never wanted to have anything to do with the youth outings to the nursing home. He didn't like being in that setting. He felt really uncomfortable in that setting, and he avoided them at all costs. But one Sunday, the other two people who could drive the church bus were not available, and Daryl was the only church bus driver who was left available. And so if they were going to go to the nursing home, Daryl was going to have to drive. Very unwillingly, he went. He sat at the back of this worship service and tried to blend in with the wallpaper, and he felt really uncomfortable. There were people around him in various states of being aware and not aware, and he just did not feel comfortable in that setting at all, and he felt very alone. He got through the service, barely. He told the youth, as soon as the service is over, I'm going to be out in the bus waiting for you, so you all come out as soon as you can. Unfortunately, Daryl's plan didn't work out the way he wanted because as soon as he turned around to head for the bus, the hand of an elderly man grasped him, grasped his hand. The man was in a wheelchair, and he didn't even seem to be aware. His eyes were glazed over, and his head hung to one side, but he had a strong grasp, and he held on to Daryl's hand. Daryl tried to pull away, but the older man wouldn't let him go. Finally, Daryl said, sir, I I have to go. And then something prompted him to say, but I'll be back. And the man squeezed Daryl's hand. And then from something, somewhere even deeper in Daryl's heart came these words. He heard himself saying, Jesus loves you, and so do I. As he was walking out, Daryl thought, where did that come from? I'll be back? It's the last thing I want to do. What am I, Arnold Schwarzenegger? I'll be back. Why did I say that? But the next month, Daryl signed up to drive the bus again to Hokum Manor. And once again, there was Mr. Lee. He learned his name that time. And he grabbed Daryl's hand at the end of the service again. This time, Daryl actually enjoyed saying to Mr. Lee, I'll be back. And remember, Jesus loves you, and so do I. And you know, Daryl signed on every month for about six months, one after another, and he became excited to see Oliver. He went, got to be on first-name basis with him. Even though Oliver wouldn't speak, he would always squeeze Daryl's hand, and Daryl would always say to him, I'll be back. Jesus loves you, and so do I. They got to month number seven. They got to the worship service, and Oliver wasn't there. So Daryl asked a, nurse a, asked a nurse afterwards what had happened to him, and she said, oh, follow me, and brought him to Oliver's room. Now, Daryl had never been with someone who was dying before, but he knew that Oliver must be getting close. So he sat with him, and he squeezed his hand again, and he began to weep. And he took both of Oliver's hands, and he prayed with him, and he said, I love you. And he stayed with him a really long time until finally the, one of the youth leaders came to him and said, Daryl, we really have to go. The kids are all on the bus. we got to go. So Daryl said one more quick prayer, and then 
he said the familiar words, I have to go now, but I'll be back. Jesus loves you, and I love you too. And he felt Daryl, he felt Oliver squeeze his hand. And as he began to back out of the room, he ran into a teenage girl who was just coming in, and he said, oh, I'm sorry, I, I didn't know you were there. And she said that she was Oliver's granddaughter and that she had been wanting to meet him. And he said, meet me, why? And she said, well, last night the nurses called us and told the family to all come, that Grandpa wasn't going to last too much longer. He wasn't talking at all. He wasn't responding. But as we all sat around his bed last night, he suddenly sat up. And he said, Julie, that was her name, tell Jesus goodbye for me. And Julie said, well, Grandpa, you're going to see Jesus yourself. You can tell him. You can tell him yourself. And he opened his eyes and looked at her with his funny smile and, and said to her, tell Jesus when he comes next Sunday that I'm gone. I just don't want him to miss me. And he hasn't said a thing since. And Julie looked at Daryl and said, You know, I never envisioned Jesus quite as chubby and bald as you. <laughs> but I think Jesus would be happy to be mistaken for you. That's what happens when we let him transform us. We get mistaken for Jesus, transformed into someone who resembles Jesus. That's the kind of work that God can do in our lives. Not conformed, but transformed. He helps us find a new route. He makes us new. You know, when we go to school, every day we stand and we say the Pledge of Allegiance. Someone has suggested that Romans 12, 1 and 2 is really our Pledge of Allegiance as followers of Jesus. It's really our statement of who we are and what we want God to do in our lives. So as we finish today, would you stand? And I invite you to put your hand on your heart. The transformation happens on the inside. And let's say these words together as our Pledge of Allegiance. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Will you let him do it? God, thank you for your amazing transforming power in our lives. Right now, we say yes to you. Whatever that means, we say yes. Do your work in us. Amen.